Good afternoon, congregation. On behalf of the consistory, I'd like to welcome all those who are worshiping with us this afternoon. We have the following announcements. The Lord willing, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper next week, Sunday, September 12th, in the morning service. The offerings today will be collected for the work of the deacons, both locally and abroad. And once again, this afternoon, we welcome Reverend Jeremy Sextro to lead our worship service. Good afternoon, congregation. What a blessing it is to meet not just once, but even twice on this Lord's Day. Our God calls us into worship with these challenging words from 1 John chapter 2. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. If you are able, please rise for worship. Brothers and sisters, children of the light, from where does your help come? Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Receive his greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. As we hear every Sunday morning, it's all about love. The law is summarized by love. The gospel is summarized by love. And that's true this afternoon as well. As we seek to understand the sixth commandment in a fuller way, we will see how it all boils down to love. Let us therefore begin our worship service by singing of our love for God and God's love for us with the words of Psalm 108, the first two stanzas.
please bow with me in prayer, asking God to show his glory and grant freedom and salvation to us, his church. Awesome God, precious Lord, we come before you in prayer as your church, thankful that we can meet together with the church to worship you and to serve you. You are our Father, and in love you have called us your children. You have entered into covenant with us, and you purchased us with the precious blood of your Son. And we confess, O God, that we are not worth the price you paid for us. We confess that it is not that we were so valuable that Christ had to die. It is because our sins were so wicked that he had to die. And we give you thanks that your love was so strong that you were willing to go through all that pain and suffering in order to save us. Please grant us what we need for this worship service. It is the afternoon. Some of us are tired. Some of us are distracted. Please give us alertness and clarity to hear what you have to say to us. Please awaken us to the gospel message of the sixth commandment. And show us your glory so that no one leaves from this place unchanged. I ask that you also give me the wisdom to speak your word and the strength to speak it boldly. Please continue to work in the lives of all the members of this church. Please continue to work in the lives of everyone who may one day hear this message. That you will work your mighty salvation in their hearts. All this we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In connection with our confessional reading, please turn with me in Holy Scripture to Luke chapter 15. Now, Luke 15 contains three well-known parables, three parables about lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. We'll see in the sermon how the parable of the lost son, or the parable of the prodigal son, as you may have it in your Bibles, should maybe have a slightly different name, and how it is richer and fuller than we might immediately think. Let's read Luke 15, the verses 11 through 32. And he, that is Christ, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have much more than bread have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him father 
I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, These many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And is found. So far the reading. Now in response to hearing what the father in this parable was willing to do for his lost son who was found again. Let us sing Psalm 18 and see what our heavenly father is willing to do for those who call out to him in distress. Psalm 18, the stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 6.
In our confessional reading, we have now come to Lord's Day 40. Please turn there with me, page 555 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 40, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, seems to be an easy one for us to follow. But the Catechism rightly convicts us that we too have broken this commandment. Let's read Lord's Day 40. What does God require in the sixth commandment? I'm not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also, the government bears the sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in such a way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. After the sermon, we will sing our Amen song of Psalm 133, both stanzas. May God bless the preaching of the truths of his word. Brothers and sisters loved by our Lord Jesus Christ, what images fill your mind when you think of the sixth commandment? You shall not murder. What do you see in your mind? Some of us may think of the horrors of the Middle East. Over the last few weeks, many of us have watched in horror as the Taliban moved into the power vacuum created when the United States began pulling its troops from Afghanistan. The sound of gunfire, day and night, people chanting death to America in the streets. Terrorists going from house to house, murdering Afghanis who helped the Americans, blocking the airports as people try to flee. This is a horrific and all-too-real picture of those who break the Sixth Commandment. Or for others of us, maybe we think of something closer to home. Our minds might go to the story from a few months ago of an out-of-control car killing a two-year-old child and severely wounding her father with a mother looking on in horror. And our horror turned to outrage when ICBC only gave them a compensation of $14,000. This is the value of life? This is the value of the life of a toddler? And still others might think of television shows or movies, the making of a murderer, how to get away with murder, Extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile, the Ted Bundy story. There's been a huge increase in media about serial killers in the last few years. 
But whatever image is in your mind when you think of breaking the sixth commandment, you're probably not conjuring up an image of yourself, are you? You aren't picturing your own face right now. But the sad reality is, this is the picture that we should have in our mind. Before we get rightly outraged about the murders in society, whether in Afghanistan or Vancouver or on our own TV screen, we should, first of all, be outraged against the murder in our own heart. Because we just heard in the catechism that this commandment is not just about physical murder. It's also about heart murder. It is forbidden for us to dishonor our neighbor. This is murder. It is forbidden for us to hate our neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures. This is murder. It is forbidden for us to have envy, hatred, anger, and the desire for revenge. These are all murder. So congregation, I confess to you that I murdered this past week. I didn't go out and stab somebody using my body, but in my heart, in my heart I'm guilty. But even this is not enough for the catechism, it seems. It continues on, it continues pricking at our heart, because it's more than just this. This commandment is not only about life, it's not only about physical murder and heart murder being forbidden, the negative aspect, but there's also a positive aspect to this commandment. It's not only about life, but it's about love. We are to love. We are to love our neighbors, showing patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness. We are to protect them from harm. We are to do good even to our enemies. And so, congregation, I must confess again, I murdered this past week. I didn't show this kind of radical, even reckless love that is commanded by our Lord and Savior. This past week, I murdered through inaction, through a hard heart. This is my confession. What about you? How many murders have you committed this past week? this past day, this past hour. We are all in desperate need of instruction when it comes to the sixth commandment. And more than that, we are all in desperate need of salvation because we've all broken it. I therefore preach to you the gospel of the sixth commandment under the following theme and points. How then shall we live? We are to live cautiously, And we are to love recklessly. We are to live cautiously. Now right at the start, I should address a possible misinterpretation here. It's very easy to misunderstand what I'm saying when I use the word cautiously. By living cautiously, I don't mean living fearfully. I don't mean living in constant terror of what might happen. Let me give you an example of the difference here. Living cautiously would mean looking both ways before you cross the street and then proceeding to cross the street. Living fearfully would mean looking both ways and then even if there were no cars in sight, deciding that the risk was just too great 
and deciding to go back home. So living fearfully isn't actually living at all. And that's not what this commandment would have us do. There are certain risks that come with being alive. And we can't avoid all of them. So on the one side, there's living in fear, which, as I just said, isn't really living at all. Then on the other side, there's living recklessly, which is expressly forbidden by the catechism in this commandment. But in the middle, between reckless living and fearful living, there's cautious living. And in our reading, we saw these two extremes, reckless living and fearful living, in stark contrast to each other. We saw that the older brother lived in fear, and the younger brother lived recklessly. Let's begin with the younger brother, commonly referred to as the prodigal son. Let's get into his mindset. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. That's one extreme of how we can live our lives. And one of you might say, yes, I see your point, but this is about being wasteful with money. Maybe you should save this parable for the Eighth Commandment rather than using it up in the Sixth. That's a point. It's a fair point. But truly, the Sixth Commandment, it's not just about death, but it's about how we spend our lives. And the younger son was reckless with how he lived. He lived recklessly. It's, it's right there in the text. We don't know the details of his life in the far-off country. We're not sure if the older brother knew something that we don't when he said that he wasted his money with prostitutes. We don't know. Maybe that's the older brother just being sour and bitter. But we can be sure that the younger son, he didn't spend a lot of time looking both ways before he crossed the street. We can be sure that he didn't spend the money eating health food, going to the gym. Instead, he would have surrounded himself with the greatest worldly pleasures, sacrificing body and soul on the altar of pleasure. And when we do this, we're, we're breaking the sixth commandment. Our God is the God of life. And when we fool around with things that belong to this earth, when we dive headlong into worldly pleasures around us, what we're doing is we're binding ourselves to the prince of this world, binding ourselves to Satan, the so-called God of death. The younger son, he broke the sixth commandment by how he abused his body with worldly pleasure. And so many of us do the same, don't we? When we indulge ourselves in a second or third helping of dessert every single night, when we lay on the couch day after day, we're breaking the sixth commandment. When we have a drink when we're happy, and a drink when we're sad, when we have a drink when we're frustrated and another drink just because it's a Wednesday, when we have to constantly make plans for how to get home from a party because we know that we'll be drinking too much, we are breaking the sixth commandment. And you can plug in whatever vice you want here. We all have them. 
you were not properly treating the body God gave you, and you were not truly understanding the life that he gave you to live. Because life is precious. Life is one of the most precious gifts that God ever gave us. Certainly one of the most intimate gifts. After hand-fashioning us from the dust of the ground, the first thing that God did was to give us life. Life was that first gift given to us by God and perhaps the most direct and intimate gift. It was the gift literally breathed into the nostrils of the first man, Adam. In Genesis 2, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Our life was literally breathed into us by the God of life. And therefore, it is immensely valuable, and it must be protected. We can't spend it recklessly, endangering ourselves for a bit of fun. That's one side of the commandment. The other side is a warning to us as well in this story. The older son, he doesn't get off scot-free, even though we don't really hear of his sins until the very end of the story. We hear, now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And some translations have slaved for you. These many years I've been your slave. I've never disobeyed any of your commandments, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And we see that the older brother, even though he appeared to be doing the right thing, his heart was just as wayward. He was just as lost as his younger brother. He wasn't living a cautious life. He was living no life at all. He didn't love his father. He didn't serve out of love, but out of duty. He didn't avoid evil because it was right, but he avoided evil because of fear. And his resentment kept on building. The younger son, he wasted his father's possessions. But the older son, he wasted his father's love. He refused to see it. Instead, he saw his father as a wicked slave driver. And he could never do enough. In this parable, both sons broke the sixth commandment. Both sons were lost, and neither properly used the gift of life that God had given them. We have to be cautious with our life. But at the same time, we can't waste it. Respect this gift that you've been given. Use it properly to its full potential. Live cautiously. But our love... Our love should know no such limits. We are to live cautiously, but we are to love recklessly. That's our second point. Loving recklessly.
Now, one of you who's been listening quite well might say, but Pastor Segstro, you just spent the first point telling us that being reckless is a breaking of the sixth commandment. Now you're saying that we have to be reckless. But there's some nuance here. Living recklessly violates the commandment, but loving recklessly fulfills it. And we can see this demonstrated powerfully in our parable as well. This parable is sometimes called the parable of the lost son, or more commonly the parable of the prodigal son. And prodigal, it's probably the word in the heading of your Bible. It is up here with me. And yet there's something missing. There's something wrong when we think about the parable in this way. And remember these, these headings. I'm allowed to take a bit of issue with them. They're not inspired by God. They're simply added in later by the editors. And here's the problem. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11, the start of the parable. That's what it says. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. Right away, the first eight words of this parable, Jesus introduces us to three characters, a father and two sons. Now, if we really want to use the word lost to describe the characters in this parable, it would fit with the lost sheep and the lost coin. If we want to talk about lost, we shouldn't say this is the parable of the lost son, but this is the parable of the two lost sons. We saw that in our first point. Both sons broke the commandment. Both sons were sinful. Both sons were lost. But if we want to keep the word prodigal, and I think we do, because it's a wonderful word. We need to up that number a little bit more. Because there's not just one prodigal son. There's not just two prodigal sons. But there are three prodigals in this story. Each of the sons are prodigal. And the father is prodigal too. Let me explain. The word prodigal, it doesn't mean lost. The word prodigal It doesn't mean wayward. If it did, then it would be blasphemous for me to refer to the father, the character representing God, as prodigal. But that's not what it means. Instead, prodigal means recklessly spendthrift. Prodigal means spending until you have nothing left. It means being reckless. Do you see? The younger son is prodigal. He's recklessly spendthrift of his father's blessings, his material possessions. And the older son, he's prodigal too. He's recklessly spendthrift of the father's love. But the father, he's also prodigal. He's also recklessly spendthrift in how he gives away his possessions, in how he gives away his love. He gives them away to both of his sons. And we see it at the beginning. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The father, the very beginning, he gives in to his younger son's demand for his inheritance, even though it was a sinful and insulting demand. The younger son was essentially saying, I don't want to wait until you die for the money that I'd get, so give it to me now. Some ministers, some some commentators say this was the younger son's way of saying, I just wish you'd die already. Not sure it's quite that far. 
but he asks this very insulting thing and the father gives it. The father gave in and was reckless with his possessions. This wasn't a good decision. And we see it later when the younger son returns home. We see that he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. The father was waiting, looking out his window every day, hoping to see his son coming down that road, hoping beyond hope that his son would return to him. The father was prodigal with his love, spending it until he was empty. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And his son, having wasted so much, so many of his father's possessions in reckless living, he receives even more possessions. He receives the best robe, a robe of honor. He receives a ring of authority. He receives shoes of comfort and a calf of celebration. The father continues to be prodigal with his possessions, spending and spending and spending. At the end of the story, we see it with the older son. He said to him, Son, you were always with me. All that is mine is yours. The father was prodigal with his love for his older son. He gave love upon love. And his son never believed it. His son never accepted it or knew who his father truly was. The father kept on giving. The father kept on loving. Reckless living is sinful. But reckless loving is what God does. God loves us recklessly. And this is not just true in the parable. This is true in real life. There's a song that speaks to this. A wonderful worship song that unfortunately so many Reformed people shun because of one word. The song, maybe you've heard it on the radio, Reckless Love by Corey Asbury. Maybe you've heard it. Here are some of the lyrics. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the ninety-nine. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. These words seem pretty good. They seem pretty faithful to Scripture, pretty reformed even. But there are those who take great issue with his description of God. They refuse to believe in a God who is reckless. This goes against Scripture, they say. After all, isn't the love of God carried out according to his good pleasure in Christ? What about Ephesians 1 that speaks of God's will done in accordance with his purpose, a plan from before time, enacted in the fullness of time, uniting all things in heaven and on earth? It was well planned out. Isn't the entire Old Testament, uh, the Testament, for lack of a better word, 
to God's amazing, well-thought-out plan? Yes, of course. And the song does not deny any of that. In fact, it speaks powerfully, using scriptural language of, of God singing over us before we ever spoke a word to him. It speaks of our creation, God breathing life into us. It speaks of God fighting for us while we were still his enemies. God's salvation is well-planned. The most amazing plan to have ever been conceived of. And yet his love for us is reckless. God's love for us is reckless. He is the true prodigal father. Because our God, he's not a miser when it comes to his blessings. He doesn't hold tightly onto his love. The father in the parable, he didn't make a single business savvy decision. And I've said before, maybe you remember that God is not a good businessman. It's true, God is not a good businessman. God is reckless with his love. And we should thank him for that. The father in the parable, he allowed his foolish younger son to waste so much money. And then he welcomed his son back in and spent a lot more money to throw a lavish party. He continued to love his older son who saw him as nothing more than a slave driver. As we read this parable, we may wish that we could experience God's love as directly as these two sons experienced their father's love. But if you wish this, open your eyes. You have experienced God's love like this. Each and every day, we experience God's extravagant and reckless love. He doesn't reckon our sins to us, but instead, he heaps up blessing after blessing. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But still, day after day, God continues to give us himself. Our holy God chooses to live in the sinful temple of our own body. Our powerful God chooses enemies to be his friends. Our loving God chooses to die to give life to those who killed him. The only word for this is reckless. This is reckless love. It doesn't make any sense. But it doesn't have to. We don't have to get it because we've already received it. And in receiving it, we then have to give it away. God's love is the example of the love that we ourselves must show. As the Catechism says, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards him. Protect him from harm as much as we can and do good even to our enemies. That sounds reckless to me. Loving our neighbor... Sure. Loving our neighbor as we love ourselves? That's a lot. But maybe after thinking about it for a while, maybe we can get on board. Loving our neighbor? Okay. That's a pill I can swallow. But then the catechism, taking up Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, says that we're also to love our enemies. And since we're not at war, let me put this in clearer terms for you. Your enemies are the people that you see as unlovable. And you have to love them. Even those who are unlovable to you in this very church. I know that they exist. 
I'm under no illusion that everyone in Cloverdale loves everyone else in Cloverdale. There are fault lines. There are battle lines drawn up from years past. And it saddens me to see them. So who are these unlovable people to you? Maybe there are those who you liken to the older brother. You judge them as being hard-hearted. There are those who care more about policies than people, you say. And you might be right about them. You might be completely wrong. But I don't care. You have to love them. And maybe there are those who, who you liken to the younger brother. You judge them as being wayward, as not serious enough, as being too taken in by the world. I don't care. You have to love them. Maybe for you it's, it's the oncers, or the maskers, or the anti-maskers. I don't care. You have to love them. It's extreme. It's reckless. You might argue that by showing them love, you're encouraging them to go on in their sinful ways. They don't deserve my love until their heart is softened. Wrong. They don't deserve my love until they're one year sober. Wrong. They don't deserve my love because they've made an idol out of the health officials and they'll plunge this country into a dictatorship. Wrong. They don't deserve my love because they're conspiracy theorists who will fill the hospital emergency rooms. Wrong. You must love them because God loves them. And you must love them because you have been loved. Love is in you not only to live, but also to give. Let me say that once more. Love is in you to live, and love is in you to give. Let me end this afternoon with a challenge. I like to do this sometimes. This one is a simple challenge, I think. I call it the three-word challenge. There are three words that are said too much and yet not enough. In a few minutes, when we leave the sanctuary and we talk with our friends, when we encounter our acquaintances, even our enemies, I want you to start off every conversation with these three words. Just for today, just for this afternoon. Start off every conversation with the words, I love you. It might be awkward, it might be weird. You may never have told a friend of yours in this church that you love them. I want you to do it today. Start off every conversation with the words, I love you. Whether you feel it or not, this is what you're called to. You're called to love both the lovable and the unlovable. The law commands you, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the fulfillment of the law. This is how you must live and this is how you must love. Amen.
is summarized by love. But it's not only love for our neighbor that is required. It is first and foremost a love for God. Let us sing, confessing our faith in and love for our great and loving God with the words of our confession in him too. have the opportunity to show your love for those who need it through your monetary gifts. After the offering, we will sing a song of how much Christ Jesus gave up for us with his reckless love.
Hymn 23, the stanzas 1, 2, and 6. May God bless your giving. For the needs of the world this afternoon, 
We'll remember specifically the persecution of Christians in India and China. We'll pray for the Christians stranded in Afghanistan, now that it is back under the control of the Taliban. We'll give thanks for the amazing heartbeat bill passed in Texas, which will save untold lives in the womb. We'll remember the 85th birthday of our brother Apko Knapp this Tuesday, followed by his 62nd anniversary with Kathy on Friday. And finally, we'll pray with cautious optimism about the changes that Pope Francis hopes to make in the Roman Catholic Church, which would decentralize authority, putting the authority back in the hands of local congregations, partially dismantling the unbiblical and dangerous hierarchy that currently exists there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, loving God, we thank you for your love and your mercy, your overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. We thank you for your perfectly planned plan of salvation and the reckless love by which you enacted that plan. We pray that our lives would be more cautious and that our love be more reckless. In our love for this fallen world, Lord, we pray for those who are struggling and suffering. We pray for persecuted Christians in India and in China as the governments refuse to protect their Christian citizens, instead actively persecuting them. We lift up these brothers and sisters and ask you to hear their cries and come down to save them. We also pray for the country of Afghanistan as over the past few weeks, the Taliban has regained control of the country. We pray for the American citizens stranded in that country, surrounded by those who chant death to America in the streets. We pray for the Afghan interpreters and those who helped the Americans over the last 20 years as they fear for their lives after being declared traitors. We pray for the women and children who have had their rights taken away, with girls sent home from school as the Taliban doesn't believe in female education and women having to fall into the brutal Sharia law or be killed. Please break their wicked power and let there be peace and justice in that country. Lord, we give thanks that closer to home, the heartbeat bill passed in Texas, effectively preventing abortion after six weeks. Lord, we know that this is not enough, as children in the womb for the first six weeks are also human and deserving of life, and their termination is murder. But we thank you for all the lives that will be saved due to this bill. I pray that you will soften the hearts of the Supreme Court, and that they will not overturn this bill, and allow the murders to continue. Lord, we give thanks for our brother Apko Knapp. We thank you for his faithful service in many areas of life, in many areas of the church. We thank you for preserving him and having him with us today. We pray that you will bless him as this Tuesday, with your will, he will turn 85 years old. We pray that you will continue to bless him and his life. We thank you for the blessing that his marriage is as well. We thank you for the picture that it shows us of the love that you have for the church pray that you will bless him and Kathy as they hope to celebrate their 62nd anniversary this Friday. And finally, O oh Lord, 
We pray for the Roman Catholic Church. Lord, it is sad when a church publicly rebels against you, but it is exciting when there are hints and rumors that there will be reformation. We pray that you will work within Pope Francis as he seeks to decentralize papal authority in the church and follow what your word says about the authority being given to office bearers in the local church. Give him what he needs to make this change and to make many, many other necessary changes too. Grant those members of the Roman Catholic Church the wisdom and faithfulness to read your word and follow it faithfully, rejecting all teachings contrary to it. We pray that in this church, we would also be faithful to your word, no matter the cost. Soften our hearts, that we may show love to all, even to those who seem most unlovable. We love you. Thank you for loving us so much. Amen. In closing, let us sing of the powerful, amazing, even reckless love of God that transformed us from his enemies into his children. Hymn 72, the stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Beloved children of God, receive your Father's blessing and go in his peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.